Well, good morning again. And if you have your uh, Bible or your um, device, uh, the words will be on the screen. But we're looking at John's Gospel, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. And uh, so I'll give you a second. Uh, the young lady on that video right there, uh, she gave us her name is Chelsea Knott. And uh, Chelsea has been actually uh, filling in for us for the last eight weeks at the, in the office at the church. And um, she and uh, Jeff Stanfill, are they here this morning? No, I don't see them today. They were at a wedding last night. But they themselves are getting married next Saturday. And uh, so we congratulate them. And yes, and uh, I don't know... I don't know if you knew this, um, but um, Jessica Orsino, who actually is, works in our office full-time, um, has been actually for the last six weeks helping Pastor Sherry with Kids Camp, uh, and she and her husband, sorry, she and Justin were married yesterday, and uh, so we were kind of all at that. So we congratulate them. It's a wonderful thing when um, marriage just takes place, and... Um, and pray for the parents, because they have to pay for it. <laughs> but anyway, let's stand together. And uh, this is a text that uh, we are very, well, many of us are familiar with. I shouldn't say everybody is, but many are. And uh, we're going to focus our attention today on verse 8, because we're talking about suggestions for a successful summer. I'll read the yellow, you'll read the white. This is what it says. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Very well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for just the sense, the, the quiet, gentle, calming sense of your presence uh, in our midst today. And it's so good to just be together on Sunday morning. And we thank you for your faithfulness. Your love that you have demonstrated so graciously, so extravagant in, through, and is Jesus Christ. And for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes what you did in Jesus and makes it applicable and available in our lives. And so we ask today, as we look to your word again on these suggestions for a successful summer, that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts to understand, but particularly as we go out from this place this afternoon and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that we would live out the truth of what it means to be Christ followers. And we ask these mercies now in Christ's name and for his name's sake. Amen. Why don't you be seated? <clears throat> People approach 
spirituality or the spiritual life in different ways. Some of us approach the spiritual life like we're in a motorboat, a powerboat. We're in charge. We're in the driver's seat. And for most of us, it's about drive. Others of us approach spiritual life like we're in a canoe. Amen, somebody said. We work hard to please God and to find his approval and favor. And in a canoe, it's all about you. It's all about us. And the more effort we make, the faster and the further we'll go. And still others of us do the exact opposite. We approach spiritual life like we're on a raft. And we are all about grace. We are about being passive, and there's, there's nothing for us to do, absolutely nothing for us to do, but just float. And then there are those of us that approach the spiritual life like we're in a sailboat. And we can't move if there isn't any wind. We cannot create the wind And better still, we cannot control the wind. And so spiritual life in a a sailboat context is about cooperation. And Jesus said that the wind blows wherever it wishes. And he's talking about the wind of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And you have heard it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, staying with our boating metaphor for a few minutes, Jesus says that our spiritual life is more like sailing than any other form of boating. There is a role for us to play. There's a role for you to play in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. There's a role for me to play in cooperation with the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so our first suggestion this morning for a successful summer is that we have to learn to listen to the sound of the wind. In other words, we have to learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit. We have to learn to listen to God's Word and God's voice. Now, how do we do that? Well, before we answer that that first question, is first of all, we have to have confidence that God actually speaks, all right? We have to have confidence that God actually speaks. Now, what I've discovered is that this is more of an issue than many of us actually may think. We may be surprised to find out how many people do not believe, how many Christians do not believe that God speaks And particularly that God actually speaks to us, that he speaks to me, that he speaks to you. A lot of people think, well, you know, yeah, but even if God does speak, then you know what? He probably does speak to other people, just not me. Uh, People that are more spiritual, people that are better, uh, people that are more devout, people that are more deserving. And so the first thing that we have to know and have confidence in is the fact that our God is a speaking God. And that our God speaks to us. He speaks to us corporately, but what I really want to focus on is that he speaks to us individually, personally. God speaks 
to you. God speaks to you. And he speaks to you, and he speaks to you, he speaks to you, and he speaks to you. God speaks to us. Now, if God does not speak, then what in the world was Jesus talking about when he said these words in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, and then he goes on in verse 27 and says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Hey, have you ever picked up the phone, well, answer the phone, and the person on the other at the other end says, hey, it's me. Ever that ever happened to you? Have you ever done that? And the idea is that we are expected to know who the person is on the other end of the line. And I think that most people have already heard the voice of God and they just don't recognize it. I believe that most, matter of fact, I'll say this, and this is a bold statement. I believe that everybody in this room, everybody, everybody that's watching online, everybody has heard God speak. Everybody. The problem is, is we just don't recognize his voice. And, and part of that is because we are a little bit like I, uh, Elijah in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. We're looking for something spectacular. And more often than not, God speaking to us is rather simplistic. It's rather simple. You know the story. Well, some of us know the story. For those of you who don't, um, uh, God tells Elijah to go out in this mountain because he's going to talk to him. And Elijah goes out in this mountain, and there's this incredible wind that blows, and then there's this earthquake that shakes the earth, and there's this big fire, and the sound of fire, and all of that kind of stuff. And the Bible says that God is not in any of those things. And then the Bible says that God speaks in a whisper. And the most reason, one of the reasons that we don't recognize the voice of God is because we're looking for something too spectacular. That God speaks to us, and when he does, it is rather simplistic. It is rather ordinary. Now, <clears throat> one of my favorite stories, and, and I've told you this before, so I know I'm not losing my mind in, in early onset, and that I've told you this story before, but there may be a dozen or so in the room that's never heard this story before. Uh, remember the movie, uh, the Walt Disney movie um, called The King of uh, Egypt? Right? Remember that movie? All right. Now, Steven Spielberg is the producer and director. And Spielberg, being a good Jew, had to figure out how to make the voice of God speak through the burning bush scene. And so they did a whole bunch of auditions. They actually had, uh, who's the guy in uh, the Ten Commandments? What's that guy? A big actor. Charles, so they even had Charlton Heston come in and actually do a, um, a line, a, a screen test, and they decided not to do that, and they used some other voices, and that didn't work. So what Spielberg decided to do is that this. So 
Val Kilmer, or Kilmer, whatever his name is, he's the guy who is the voice of Moses in this animated film. And what Spielberg decided to do is he decided that he was going to take the voice of Kilmer, who was the voice of Moses, and it was going to be Kilmer's voice that came out of the burning bush. And so they asked uh, Spielberg, and uh, they said, well, why did you use Kilmer's voice, Moses' voice, for the voice of God? And he said this, only a good Jew would get this. He said this, because when we hear the voice of God, we usually hear it in the sound of our own voice. And I thought, that is incredibly brilliant. But going back to Elijah for a moment, he wasn't in the, he wasn't in the, uh, the uh, wind, he wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the fire, but in a whisper. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, there are many ways that we hear God's voice. We hear God's voice in the sound, or rather, when we read the scriptures. One of the most uh, important ways to hear God's voice. Matter of fact, when you're reading the Bible, uh, which happened to be this, me this past week, I was sharing with the staff, um, I'm in Luke, uh, the beginning of uh, Luke's gospel, and I'm reading through the, um, I'm reading through the uh, Christmas narrative. And I'm reading through where Mary, and there's a, there's a line, there's a verse at the end of where Mary does her whole thing about, you know, the Lord has blessed me and all of that, the Magnificat. And there's a line in there that I had, I mean, I have read, I have preached the Christmas story dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And I have read that text, I was going to say a hundred times, but that might be a bit much, but dozens. And all of a sudden, there was this one verse. And the one verse at the end of it says, and what the Lord says never fails. It's just like it's tucked in there. And I must confess, in 33 years of pastoral ministry, I had never, ever seen that line before. And that, to me, was the voice of God. God was speaking to me through that. And when you read the Bible, and all of a sudden there's a verse that bounces out to you, and you think, whoa, man, this is incredible, or a line that you've never seen before, this is the voice of God. He speaks. He speaks through his word. Another way that God speaks, of course, is through the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. He speaks through our thoughts, through our hearts, and through impressions. But there are other ways, what I call sort of other sources that we hear God's voice. We hear God's voice through other people. Now, just a caveat here and a caution, that nobody else knows the will of God for my life. Nobody else knows the will of God for your life, but people can confirm, they can affirm the will of God for our lives. God speaks through other people. I would hope that God's speaking through me today. If not, we're all in trouble. But he speaks through circumstance and he speaks through situations. One of my favorite ways that I believe God speaks and one of the ways that God speaks to me a lot is through dreams. Through dreams. And so if we are going to learn to listen to the wind of the Spirit, the voice of God, the Word of God, we need to understand that it is not passive. A good sailor discerns when the wind is blowing, which direction the wind is blowing, 
They discern when they should hoist the sail and how they should trim or how they should set that sail so they can get the maximum efficiency out of the wind. Spiritually, you and I have to do the very same thing. We have to, first of all, discern when the wind of the Spirit is blowing in our lives. And sometimes, and there's variance with how God's Spirit works in our lives, sometimes it is gentle, and sometimes it's so gentle, in fact, we don't even recognize it. But there are other times when the wind picks up. And we become consciously aware that God is, the wind of God is blowing in our lives. And then we also need to determine the way in which the wind is blowing. What is God saying? What is God saying? Where is the wind of God blowing? And then we need to hoist our sails. We need to become sensitive, recognize that God's wind is blowing in our lives. And so we sort of hoist our sail. We sort of get into it. And then we have to determine. We have to sort of adjust and trim and set the sail. Ella Wheeler Wilcox wrote a poem called The Winds of Fate. She meant faith, by the way. And she wrote this. One ship drives east and another west with the selfsame wind that blows. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales which tells us the way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the ways of faith. As we voyage along through the life, Tis the set of a soul that decides its goal and not the calm or the strife. Now, our second suggestion for a successful summer this morning is that we have to be willing to go with the wind. Now, that means participation. Our experiences of God's working, of God's action in our lives is rooted in the Bible. And the question then is, why is that important? Well, it's important because, as many of you have probably heard this line, because past behavior, not always, but often predicts future performance. In other words, If my life is consistent, the way that I have operated and functioned and behaved in the past is an indication of what I'm, how I'm going to act and perform in the future. The same is true with God. In other words, when it comes to God, the way God acts in the Bible is the same way that he acts today. There is no disparity, no difference or variance in in the nature of God between then and now. How God interacted with the people in the Bible is the same way that he is going to interact with you and I. God, there is is no variance. Now, Now, with that said, with that said, just a little footnote, there are some oddities, some exceptions in the Bible that are sort of one-offs, they're anomalies. Like God telling Ezekiel to walk around naked. Now, that's a bit of an oddity, a bit of an anomaly. I wake up one morning and God tells me to do that. Guess what? It ain't happening. 
You know what I'm saying, and you'll all be thankful. (laughs) But there are some oddities. There are some exceptions in the Bible that just are a bit bizarre, if the truth were told, a bit strange. They are anomalies. They are one-offs. That's not how God generally operates. But outside of those anomalies, outside of those oddities, another example, a good example, is the story of Job. Now, I have known a lot of people, and I've known a lot of people who are ill, as you have, and I have never met anybody closely related, anything closely related to the sickness and the ailment and the trouble that Job had. Job is a bit of an oddity. Job is a bit of a a one-off. He's a bit of an exception. Now, with that said, though, with that said, at the same time, Job's story tells us something about suffering. Andrew Root wrote this. He said, the reason we suffer is a perplexing mystery, and it is. And we, like ancient Job, have no answer to the puzzle before us. But what we do have, what we do have, is a deeper experience. An experience of the very personhood of God coming to our brokenness. Giving us not answers to riddles, but the mystery of communion, of love, of mercy. What we do have, he writes, is a mystery of friendship. We are persons. And there is a personal being seeking to encounter us. Let that seep in for a moment. There is a personal God who is seeking to encounter us, who is seeking to encounter you, who is seeking to encounter you and you. Now, what does he mean by the very personhood of God coming to our brokenness. We experience the very personhood of God whenever we encounter God, whether it's in brokenness or any other time. The very personhood of God is God acting in conjunction with us. God acting, God working in conjunction with your life and with my life. That's where we experience the personhood of God. Now think about that when we come to communion. I was down by the water again this morning. It was beautiful down there today, foggy, and then the fog began to lift. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, you know what we're like? We're like fish swimming in an ocean looking desperately for the sea. Now, what I mean by that is this, that so often we, we, we seek after and search after and long after other things that are so small and so much more insignificant than God, like a fish searching for a sea which is so much smaller than a massive ocean. That's what we're like when we search for other things to satisfy us, to make us happy. 
But that's not my real point. Here's the real point. Is that you and I don't have to look for God. He is present. And that's called the personhood of God. God is all around us. God is here. God is present. And we are like fish in an ocean. We keep looking around for the ocean, but we just can't see it. And the point is that we are in the presence of God. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the main auditorium of Glad Tidings Church on Sunday morning or you're watching online or you're sitting in your house or in your office or wherever it is you work or whether you're driving in your car or whether you're walking by the beach or you're whatever it is you do whenever you're doing it, the presence of God, we are in it all the time like fish in an ocean. Now, if you struggle with that, let me give you some biblical proof. Paul is preaching to the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17, and he writes these words or says these words that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, puts it a little bit different. He says these words. He says, your life... My life, our lives are hid with Christ in God. And then, of course, we come to Isaiah chapter 63, and we find a statement that Isaiah makes in one of the most significant chapters of the entire Bible that is a frequent refrain that is repeated throughout the Psalms, and it's this, the whole earth is full of his glory. We are in the presence of God, We don't need to seek after the presence of God. He's here. Right now. In nearness and in closeness. And that's why we need to have the bigger picture of God's perspective. Now, this is difficult because, number one, we're not God. And number two... It's very difficult for us human beings with our limited understanding and ability to actually see things from God's perspective. It's nigh unto impossible, so we need some help. Soren Kierkegaard once said this, life is lived forward, but is understood looking backward. It's true, isn't it? I am an amazing prophet looking back. My prophetic vision in hindsight is 2020. Life has to be lived forward. But often it's only understood looking backward. Uh, this week I was reading the story of the establishment of the Red Cross. Henry Durant was a 19th century uh, Swiss banker, wealthy beyond means, and um, or beyond measure, and uh, he was sent by the Swiss government to go to France and to negotiate a deal with Napoleon. And uh, he went, and when he got there, he just, they was told that Napoleon was off in Italy fighting a war. 
So Durant got in his carriage and headed his horses down to Italy and went down the wrong road. And when he got down there, he arrived just in time to hear the, to hear the bugle blasts and Napoleon's army charging into battle. And Durant accidentally witnessed one of the most ghastly experiences of carnage of war. He watched with horror as cannonballs ripped through flesh and the acres of land of bodies heaped of men maimed and dying. He was so devastated that he actually stayed several weeks on the front lines and helped the doctors in churches and in farmhouses to treat the wounded. He went back to Switzerland, and when he got back there, he was so haunted by the images that he saw. He became so distracted that he couldn't focus on his work, and eventually he lost his fortune. And with his career, career derailed and his plans askew, he had a sense of God's sovereignty in all that was taking place. And he wrote this. He wrote, I was aware of an intuition, vague and yet profound, that this was God's will. It seemed to me that I had, some has, I had something to accomplish as a sacred duty, that it was destined to have fruits in the infinite consequences of mankind. And indeed it was. Out of Durant's failure and depression, after following the wrong road to Italy, Henry Durant founded the Red Cross, which has saved millions of lives and has given aid to countless numbers of people in war and in disaster. Matter of fact, he actually received the Nobel Peace Prize for establishing the Red Cross. Remember this. God's wisdom is greater than my limited perspective. Madeline Ingalls said in, the, in a wrinkle in time wrote, I have a point of view, you have a point of view, but God has view. Remember this. God's power is greater than my problems. And this as well. That God's love will support us and bring encouragement to our soul. I love the words in Psalm 94 where it says, When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And lastly, we have to have an understanding of God's providence. Now, God's providence is how God's sovereignty 
orchestrates, engages, and uses the happenings and the details of our lives for his glory and for our benefit. I like this. God never causes bad things to happen, but at the same time, he never wastes an opportunity. He never wastes a crisis to bring about good. How does God's providence work in your life and in my life? Well, sometimes, to be honest with you, it is so simple and it is so natural that it actually looks like coincidence. It is so natural and it's so simple that it actually looks like happenstance. You know, there's a line in the Bible um, in, the, in the book of Acts where, um, and one in the Old Testament as well where it says these words, and it just so happened. And the same is true in your life and my life. There are lots of things that we just look at and we, we think to ourselves, well, it just so happened. Well, yes, but it's not coincidence and it's not happenstance. It is God's providence. And what's interesting is these kinds of things, these simple, it just so happened things, they happen in every story, every chapter, every paragraph in the Bible. And the only difference between the Bible stories and your story and my story is this. That in our stories, we don't get to see behind the curtain to see what God is doing. That's why we call it a life of faith. Does that make sense? Now, I've got a lot more to say. I've got another whole point, but you know what? I'm not going to go there. I'm going to pause right here.